Let's read God's word together. Let me read for us. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be in good spirits when I learn of your circumstances. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned about your circumstances. For they all seek after their own interests, not of those, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the fatherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore I hope to send him immediately as soon as I evaluate my own circumstances. So though he wants to send him, not at this time. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I regarded it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. So you get the idea. He wants to send Timothy shortly, but not now. So 25, I thought it was necessary to send to you Epaphroditus that you sent to me to serve me. Obviously, reading between the lines, we get they were expecting Timothy to come. But Paul is saying, instead of him, I want to send back to Epaphroditus. But as soon as I figure things out, I will send him shortly. So that's what is going on in this text. But there are ample things that God speaks to us from this text. So let's look at a few things. Last week we talked about the hope that we have in Christ. But what's the purpose of him sending Timothy? He says in the rest of verse 19, So that I also may be in good spirits when I learn of your circumstances. So he wants Timothy to go and come back and bring him the news about the Philippian congregation. Commentators say it's about 800 miles one way. So 1,600 miles back and forth, Timothy will go. Why? So he will bring the news back to Paul. So when I learn of your circumstances, and as we talked about this, Whenever Paul says this, he is pressing them. He wants to say, I am coming, also in verse 24, I am confident in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. He said this many, many times. Just to convince them that I will hear about you. About what? How many members they have? No, his chief concern in chapter 2 was all about those points that he laid out. Are you being humble? Are you walking out your salvation in fear and trembling? I want to see how you are progressing in all of the commands that I've given you. And I am coming. So we talked about this. At first glance, I was thinking to myself, I mean, this is Paul. We have seen this at least twice before. So he's pressing them. 
So, good for him and good for the church. But I thought to myself, what if this is Jesus speaking to you, me? What if Jesus says to you, when I learn of your circumstances, what will I find? When I thought about that, I had to pause and think about my life. As long as it's, between, it's in between Paul, Timothy, Philippian church, it's them. It does not concern me, it does not concern you. But the Holy Spirit who inspired Paul to care for their spiritual state, the same Holy Spirit will say to us, when I learn of your circumstances, what will I find? It's a a, um, scary thought. Revelations 1, 2, there, you know, he talks to, risen Christ talks to the seven churches. But in chapter 1, it describes him in this way. In the middle of the lamp stands, I saw one like a son of man. That's Christ. And all the descriptions, one of them is this. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. Later on, in Revelations 5, 5, in the midst of the elders, a lamb standing as if slain. So it's not a perfect lamb, but he could tell that lamb has been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. It's a lamb, but that lamb looks like he's slain, but he has seven horns and seven Seven perfect numbers. So, blazing eyes and seven, later on, seven eyes. All of that, talk, they talk about Christ, the risen Christ, and his omniscience. His penetrating knowledge that he has for all the churches. So, in the chapters 2 and 3, he talks to all the churches, seven churches, but he knows exactly what is going on in its church. Why? Because he is God. So when Christ says to you, when I learn of your circumstances, what would you say? What will he find when with his all-blazing eyes and with seven eyes, he walks among the churches, he knows inside out even our church, all of you, inside out. And Hebrews 4.13 says this, No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. What will he find? Paul said, I will be coming shortly. Jesus says, I will come to you. So this is a, a midterm for you. We don't think about that. Not many people talk about the end, judgment. This is after all Thanksgiving season. But if Christ says to you, 
If I learn of your circumstances, Sam, what will I find? I mean, can we run from him? Can we hide from him? What would you say? I often think about this verse, a haunting words of Christ. In Luke 18.8, he says this. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith upon the earth? That's, that's really a sad comment by Christ. When I come back, when I return, will I find faith upon the earth? Will he find faith in you? Not simply that bare minimum faith that saves you, but that robust faith. Will he find it from you? Second Timothy talks about the last days. What that will look like. Prediction is this, and in some sense, this has been always the case, but will intensify as timeline goes, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And the first trait of that difficult times in Second Timothy 3 is this, for men will be lovers of self. That's the first thing. They, were, they are just full of themselves, lovers of self. If you are lovers of self, there is no love for Christ, no room for Christ and invisible kingdom of God. Second thing, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. So church will be full of people who have form of godliness, but empty of the gospel power. So Christ says, when I return, will I find faith upon the earth? So, Paul will hear about Philippian church soon. And what would you say to Christ? I thought about this a few times in my own life. When you come to a church, we are busy coming in. But what if there is no pulpit, no pastor, no Tom? But what if Christ is sitting here? I thought about this in my previous church. How would people react to that? Coming into a church and actually find Christ sitting in the, in the seat. What will they change? Probably people will be texting or calling their children. Why don't you dress up? But whatever that change, shouldn't we do that as by faith we look upon Christ now? So, do yourself a self-exam today. All of the things that we talked about. 
Why don't we start from last Sunday? Hope. Do you hope in the Lord? Not hope to get into this college or I hope to get this. All of that is necessary and good. But do we, do you hope in the Lord Jesus Christ about the future immediately about our church? And yesterday, for the first time, I, don't, I never dream about this kind of stuff. I'm not saying there's any meaning to it. But last night, I woke up probably a couple of times, and one of the dreams that woke me up was really a happy dream. I was in an auditorium of some kind of a college-sized auditorium, and just people were coming into that auditorium packed, So I actually woke up, not dreading anything, but in a happy moment. What a wonderful thing would it be if we hope in the Lord that this will be packed, this will be packed, and the next step will be buying a building. (laughs) Hope in the Lord. Do you hope in the Lord? Do you have anything to say to God? What about joy? What about faith in Christ? What about service? What about humility? So, that's your self-exam for today. In the same verse, in verse 19, this is also, um, before we talk about Timothy, verse 19, it also says this. In verse 19, So that I also may be in good spirits when I learn of your circumstances. And here's something that's interesting here. So this is how you test a translation. We are looking at the uh, legacy. And as we go slow, I do my studies, meditations, and see. So that I, and uh, there was that word. Usually in Greek text, the pronouns are not there. So whenever you see a pronoun you notice that it's there for an emphasis. And the word is an actually a, um, uh, not a usual one. And he says, so that I also, it's a good translation. It's a simple word, but that really is an emphasis there. You know what Paul is saying here in this text? I want to send Timothy, so when I learn of your circumstances, then emphasis was that old apostle, says, I, I want to be encouraged. And the emphasis is really actually twice. I also want to be in good spirits, encouraged or cheered. And I blushed a bit when I read that. Apostle Paul is not all about growth, sanctification. I am watching you. You better do it right. But there is that old man saying to the congregation, there really is a desire that I want to be encouraged by you. We often do not think about that. What if I stand here and I say to you, I, Sam, want to be encouraged by you. 
some of you would be offended by that. Because some of you may think it is always the other way around. Pastor, you are there to serve me. Elder, you are there to serve me. But what Paul is saying is actually very humbling. Actually broke my heart. And, and I said, here I, he was but a human. That strong apostle Paul, he says, I want to be encouraged. I want to be encouraged by you. Paul talks about mutual encouragement in many places. So I looked it up. Romans 1, 12. 11 and 12. I long to see you to a Roman church that he has never been there. I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you so that you may be established. That is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. 2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 9. He was very much distressed, but he says... But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So he was comforted by the knowledge that Titus brought back to him that Pastor Paul, when I went to the Corinthian church, they had many problems, but they've been thinking about you. They were longing for your presence. They were praying for you. So when Paul heard that, he says, I rejoiced even more. There's a humanity. Paul is not Christ. What will encourage Paul or John in 3 John? He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's right. When I was young, when I was in that ministry, it's inspiration. We took everything for granted. We were too young. We were everywhere. We were going everywhere for our missions. And our leader who passed away, who introduced Christ to us, to my wife, the good man who died in early 60s. Recently, I remember after spending a few years, we were just sleeping in church floors and everywhere. But one time he kind of, in passing, he said to us, to me, said, you know, I am getting old. And I cannot, I can't, I just cannot do this anymore. And he just moved on. I didn't think about that. You know, after all, we are Christians, we must be humble, we have to serve. That's all that was in me. But nobody, none of us young people approached him and said to him, you know, why don't you take a break? You have done so much. Why don't, you, why don't you stay home this mission trip? Why don't you go to motel or something? We could sleep in the church floor with sleeping bags, but why don't you, why don't you just do that? 
No, we were too young. We were too dumb. Yesterday, <clears throat> in a presbytery meeting, a guy came from Midwest, John Fickard, and his full-time job is to care for the pastors. In the OPC, there's a committee for ministerial care, and he had a presentation. And I myself also signed up for a few things because of them. And I just expressed my thanks to him and all the labors that they are doing. And I told you once here, I just don't know anything about a... Um, uh, denomination actually caring for the ministers and their wives. Do you know any ministers like that? There are few, but not that many. And two men gave testimony in our presbytery, and I've talked about them. Uh, John Mellon, long-time clerk, and Dick Garber. And what struck me was this. Dick Garber and John Mellon, one of my really favorite pastors, really, in the entire world. I often call them. I often send emails to them. But what struck me was this. Each man stood up and gave quick testimony, saying that when Dick Garber, his wife, was really dying, and she passed away. He didn't know what to do or where to turn to, and this is Dick Garber, who was a long-time associate secretary for our home missions. He is the one who knows everything about church. He's been serving the entire OPC for a good 25 years, ins and outs of all the churches, administrations, insurances, lawsuits, you name it. You have a problem, you go to Dick Garber. But there is a moment when he says, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to turn to. And CDC was there to give him ideas, support. John Mellon saying the same thing. This year he ran out of this insurance, liability insurance, because he's a counselor. When you counsel, you have to have your liability insurance so that you will not be sued. Not many people know about that. You call him up, you send him an email, you do a Zoom meeting. But you don't know about that. Who's paying for that? So he didn't know what to do. He's not a pastor of a congregation. So he turned to CDC. Paul, here he says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be in good spirits. Let us think about people in our midst. And I'll ask you this. Have you been an encouragement to someone today? Have you been one? When you go home today, look up larger catechism 127 and 129 and discuss with your children and even by yourself, what can you be? What can you do to younger people? 
If you are a younger person, what can you do to encourage you? Have you thought about that your moms and dads, they need encouragement from you? Where are they going to get any encouragement? But young people do not think about that often. Let us think about that. Let us pray about that. As God gives you wisdom, reach out to them. Send them an email, gifts, cards, things like that. And it goes a long way. Why do people quit? Why do people quit ministry? Why do people quit serving? Why do people quit life? Because there's a, just an incessant attack upon you, and you get finally discouraged, and you give up. And God is saying to all of you today to become an encouragement. Forget about outside people that you don't know. It comes next. Primarily, do good to the household of faith. That's God's word. Let me talk about Timothy a little bit. I spoke for 26 minutes, so I could go on for the next, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. 2018, here in this spot, I preached about Timothy, and the title of that sermon was Prescriptions for Timid Timothy. If you know Timothy, Timothy is forever young. Because when we hear about first and second Timothy, we always say, this is a letter by Paul to a young pastor. So Timothy, like Peter Pan, he never grows up in our own minds. Timothy is forever young, mistake-prone, timid Timothy. That's always what we think about Timothy. At the time, I talked about it is a dangerous thing to frame someone. Because he's timid, he will always be timid. That's a sinful thing to say to anyone. What I want to talk about today briefly is how he grew. How he grew because Paul picks up Timothy in Acts 16, in verse 1 and 2. There's a young man, well spoken of, So Paul says, follow me, come with me. And in the same Acts 16, what does he do? He comes to Philippi. So, Timothy was a young man in his first missionary journey with Paul, for Paul was a second. He witnessed how he was jailed in Philippi. Probably a few years back, In his hometown, Lystra, Acts 14, though it does not mention, Paul was stoned, stoned to death. What does he do? He goes back into town, remember? And the believers, the the disciples surround him and bring him back into the town. Maybe Timothy was there, I don't know. But he witnessed everything that Paul is doing for uh, the Philippian church. So in some sense, Timothy is also a founding pastor. He was a believer. Philippians were not. This was a Gentile pagan context. But anyway, how he grew in hope. 
I want us to have hope. If Timothy was dead 10 years ago, after 10 years now, at the time of this writing, after 10 years, let's see how he grew. Just a few bullet points from that forever young guy. Let's see, first one is, Paul says, there is no one else. No one else. Verse 20. For I have no one else. In 10-year period of time, probably Paul had many co-workers, but at this point, he says, there is no one else. That's how he grew. From young disciple to follow Paul. He was not in the action because he was too young and he was just first time. It was Paul and Silas. Timothy probably observing, following them behind, seeing what these pastors are doing. But 10 years later, Paul says, there's no one else. No one else like him. Second point is this. He's what? No one else like him. No one else of kindred spirit. Kindred spirit. Kindred means like family. That's the word. So like-minded. But that's not accurate. Paul is saying there's no one else like him, like he has kindred spirit. The word is isosome, isosuke, iso, isotopes. Same thing, same soul. So Paul is saying there's no one else like him, same soul. It's not like-minded, agreed upon, some contract, or let's do something together. That's not, that's not the word. He and I, we have the same soul. Same soul. And Paul, Paul was not able to say the same for anyone else. That's a remarkable thing. How does that happen? It only happens between people who spend much time together. In this context, in love for Christ and for each other. And later on, 2 Timothy, Paul says to him, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. So that's how he was forged, as same soul. He grew. He was a young man. But after 10 years, there's no one else like him. He and I, we have the same ISO soul. If the goal of the discipleship is replication, reproduction, because he says, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ, Paul is saying, he's more than my imitator. He's, he's more than imitating me. That stage has passed for Timothy. You know what Timothy is? Same soul. He talks the same. He thinks the same. He has the same mind. What a commendation for this young man. Third one is one. Why? For I have no one else of the same soul who will genuinely be concerned about your circumstances. Verse 21 is the key. For why? For they all seek after their own interests not those of Christ Jesus. That's the key. When you look at this section separately, 
you may think that Paul is talking about Tim, uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus. We have church business to take care of. But verse 21 links back to chapter 2, verse 4. What did it say in the beginning of chapter 2? Well, let's read from verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory, but with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Verse 4. Not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So what Paul is saying is that Paul is presenting Timothy, not because simply because he was the only one available, no, He's more than that. He is the only one with the same soul. But the reason being, he is the one who conforms to verse 3 and 4. He is the one who has the character of Christ, who was the supreme example of chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. So Timothy is more than, oh, he thinks in the same way like me. He's a mini-me. He's like little Paul. Well, in and of itself, that's a praise, great praise. No one else gets that kind of praise from Paul. But the chief character that he saw in Timothy was that what I am telling you to do, he has it. What is it? For they all seek after their own interests, not of those Christ Jesus, but this man is the one who is genuinely concerned about your circumstances. I mean, all pastors and all elders, all men of God, women of God, we are concerned about each other, but he has that character that I have been, I've been saying to you. And later on, you will find Epaphroditus. He also will be an example of someone who has the character of Christ. Yes, let me talk about Timothy, the great Timothy. Not young, inexperienced Timothy, but pastor. He was a pastor of Ephesian church. Timothy was. Ephesian church was the most influential church in Asia Minor. Paul stayed for there for a long time, and Timothy was put in charge, probably a large congregation. So he was not a small-time pastor. Timothy was associated with Paul in the writings of Romans, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Philemon. Paul sent Timothy to Corinth, Thessalonica, Ephesus, and Philippi. We trust that he went later on. So, he was everywhere. He was co author of the letters that were sent to that were sent to many churches and included in the Bible. The stature of Timothy, we should say, was a great one. He was not always young guy, but he was a great man of faith. And let me introduce this, this verse. Book of Hebrews toward the end it says this in the last minute, Hebrews thirteen twenty three. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Toward the end it says, Our brother Timothy has been released. That's right. So toward the end, when he was getting older, we don't know how old he was, but Hebrews 
people say 60 to 70. Uh, bit late. Timothy obviously was imprisoned as well. What if this Timothy was Timothy Chung? <laughs> you know, somebody else. We don't know. But we trust that Timothy was that Timothy. So, let me wrap this up. First example was Christ in second chapter of the Philippians. First example, Christ, 2, 5 through 11. Second example of that Christ, following Christ, was actually Paul. In chapter 2, verse 17, when he says, Even I am, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. He's dying for them. Third example today is Timothy, who exemplifies Christ. Fourth will be Epaphroditus that we will see. So what's the story? Fifth is who? Shouldn't it be you and me? That's the story, really, of the Philippians. Christ, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and God is speaking to us. The next one is you. We need to be that. We want to be like Timothy, growing up in the grace of God, representing great Paul everywhere for the furtherance of the gospel. Loyal, humble, self-sacrificing person. So tying back to what I said in the beginning, go to God tonight in your desk alone. Open these Bible verses up and see where you are. And ask God to form Christ in you. And God is faithful. And he will bring it to completion for his glory. Let's pray.